You are about to listen to the full interview with Tarje Tofnes. Sections of it were originally included in our Hestalen Lights episode. If you haven't listened to the full episode, we recommend you go listen first. It'll provide context for this interview. Tarje Tofnes is a Norwegian filmmaker known for his documentaries exploring mysteries, UFO phenomena, and the nature of reality. His work includes films like The Day Before Disclosure and Crop Circles, Crossover from Another Dimension. He blends research and investigations into the paranormal and consciousness. He told us more about his experience creating The Portal, his documentary on the Hestalen Lights phenomena. My background as a documentary and filmmaker is that I've, for the most part of my life, been working with information type of, of corporate filmmaking. Uh, I've been working with all types of different uh, businesses and industries here in Norway. And uh, I've also been doing a lot of documentaries. And for the past 15 years, I've been doing documentaries with topics of my own interests, uh, like paranormal phenomena, UFO stuff, crop circles, consciousness studies, and uh, things like that, yeah. You founded a company called New Paradigm Films. Can you kind of talk about that production company and, and, and what the founding of that was like? Well, the reason why I call it that is because it was back in 2006. Prior to that, I had been working. My company had another name, which was partly my own name, called Toftenes Multivision, because we initially were working with multi-image type of uh, productions. But uh, in 2006, when we started making our own documentaries, we wanted to make educational and uh, uh, documentary films of type of uh, non-fiction stuff, uh, which fit into the new paradigm, the new way of looking at the nature of reality, so to speak. We wanted to uh, find topics that kind of were challenging the materialistic view of how the world works uh, at at its core and uh, to introduce new ideas that would lead up to this new paradigm, which I personally believe is right ahead of us, a more type of holistic paradigm where you see the world and the nature of reality in a quite different uh, view from the materialistic way that we regard or have regarded reality up to now. And can you maybe give us a little overview of some of the films you've made under New Paradigms and what are some of those films if people wanted to check them out? First of all, we started with a film called Crop Circles, Crossovers from Another Dimension. That was a film about the crop circle phenomenon, especially in England, the southern parts of England, especially in the area called Wiltshire, where there have been a lot of crop formations over the past 20, 30 years. I found that very intriguing phenomenon and went there to uh, study it. And uh, in during recording over three summers, we recorded a lot of interviews and talked to local people and uh, tr- trying to, ex- to find out what this really was all about. So that was the first film. The next one was actually on the Hestalen lights, about the uh, strange uh, lights that have been observed in this uh, remote uh, Norwegian valley, Hestalen. Uh, over the past 30 years and which seems to have something uh, connected to the uh, general UFO phenomenon. After that, we um, did a film on the global UFO phenomenon where we went to both to the United States and to several other parts of the world to uh, interview people who were into ufology. 
And we ended up with something like 50 different interviews and <laughs> produced a documentary that was almost two hours long, where we explored the different topics within the UFO phenomenon, which is a really large topic. And of course, in light of what has just happened over the past year with the Congress hearings and David Gresham and, and all of that, it has actually actualized uh, the, uh, the whole topic. Our film uh, about the UFO phenomenon called The Day Before Disclosure was released in 2010. Uh, and that's uh, 13 years ago now, but it's still very up to date in, in many ways. And it has been viewed by millions of people all over the globe. At one point, it was actually called one of the top five UFO documentaries in the United States. So we won a lot of, uh, of rewards and, and prizes in, in the US for that film. So, but after that, we, um, we did a film on uh, consciousness called The Creative Play of Consciousness, where we also worked with the people all over the globe who were engaged in, con in studying uh, consciousness as a phenomenon and also the um, uh, core uh, existential questions. So that film was uh, released in 2016 and also has received a lot of nice feedback, <laughs> to put it that way. Uh, it tries to find out what actually is the true nature of, of reality. And in between, we have made films about different health issues. The latest one actually was about my own uh, cancer situation because seven years back I had a, I was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. I was given two years to live. And what happened was that I, I chose to do something else than follow the, uh, the, the general procedures in the hospital. So I, I did, well, integrative medicine or complementary medicine, which actually cured my cancer. Uh, as the first one ever recorded in Norway with that type of cancer who actually survived. So uh, seven years later, I'm, I'm still feeling very fine and no cancer in my body. So I, I, I did a documentary on that whole situation because of the things that I did, which was a very special alternative treatment, uh, was of no interest to, the, to my doctors or, or to the hospital that I originally visited. So I know that there are a lot of other people who have the same type of disease, so I, I wanted to show them that there is another way out. And I also got in contact with different research uh, clusters in, in the US, especially who are researching or who are doing research on the metabolic view of cancer, uh, because cancer is something else that we actually have believed so far as a genetic disease. Uh, the new research says that it's it's more likely a metabolic disease. And if you treat it like that, it's much easier to cope with cancer. So I also did a documentary on that. And in between, of course, not, uh, well, a lot of other stuff that's, that's not so important to mention, but mainly it has been focused on paranormal phenomena and different health issues and scientific issues. Yes. Do you mind if I ask kind of what was involved in the alternative medicine that you pursued that helped you cure your cancer? Yeah, well... I had, I, I have to tell you first that I had a type of a non-Hodgkin lymphoma with very big tumors on, on the skin around on my body, just like big hamburgers actually that popped out. <laughs> it was it was not nice to look at. Of course, at the hospital, they, they wanted to do uh, radiation, chemo and standard immunothera therapy, immunotherapy. 
And uh, I knew that that type of treatment would never leave my body intact. Uh, it would, of course, change my body forever uh, in a very negative way because of all the side effects. So what I did was I contacted an, a naturopath and he said that, of course, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to treat cancer, but I can treat your body as such. And so he uh, did a, an analysis with microscopy, what do you say? Well, he anal analyzed uh, my blood. It's uh, an English is not my native language, as you understand. Well, he did analysis of my blood and of my uh, different types of analysis. And he said that the problem is that your, uh, your gut is uh, full of inflammation and your liver is, is full of toxic stuff. Your body is a very... Well, it, it seems that you have not been treating your body well for the past 30, 40 years, which uh, was absolutely true because I've been working with media. And, you know, uh, when you have deadlines, you don't, you don't have time to go home and make proper food. You just go down to the nearest gas station or fast food uh, shop and put something in your mouth, you know. Uh, and the only exercise you have is uh, to, uh, to and back and forth between your desk and the coffee machine you know so <laughs> my body was not in a very well situation but so what he actually did was he put me on a cure to cleanse my body to cleanse my my liver which mainly was uh, to have eat veg vegetable soup and in combination with fasting for almost uh, four months and also a lot of uh, supplements which he gave me and that actually did something really extraordinary with my body because all the cancer kind of disappeared by itself because the environment that had created the cancer was you know put back into normal it was just like it was just like pushing the reset button you know so so it worked and today i'm more fit than ever you know even if i'm I have passed my 70s, yes. What did, before we get to that, this is such a fascinating thing. I, I, we'll move on to the Hestelan in a moment, but what did your doctor have to say about that who maybe was recommending, anyone who was recommending to you radiation treatment? Well, he said in the first place that cancer is caused by bad luck. And when I was cured and not having used his medications, he said that it's just, well, we call this a miracle. It's it's fantastic. Uh, it's it's you have just it's what what do you say spontaneous remission is that what you call it? But these the researcher that I met in in Boston in the U.S. a guy called uh, Dr. Thomas Seyfried, he said cancer is definitely not bad luck. It's bad environment that's what causes cancer. And thanks to him and and the research that he's been doing, there's a totally new view on cancer, which is now kind of an enormous paradigm shift, but it meets a lot of kind of a stone wall of resistance from the medical area and from the, the pharmaceutical uh, industry and, and so forth. You know, it's not easy to come up with something new, which you cannot make money from, you know. So, so to cure cancer with diets is uh, very effective, but it's, uh, it's not a commercial product. So it's, it's of no interest to the medical industry. That's, that's an incredible story, and I'm very happy to hear that you've remained cancer-free. Um, maybe shifting gears a little bit, how did you first get introduced to the Hestelin light phenomenon? What was your first introduction to this phenomenon? My first introduction to the Hestelin light phenomenon goes back to the year 1981, because then I read in the news that there 
had been an observation of very strange lights in a remote valley in the midst of uh, the mountain area in, in Norway. And it actually was created interests not only from the local people living there, which were not so many, there were just a couple of hundred people living in that remote valley, but even the uh, Norwegian Broadcasting Co Cooperation, our official broadcaster, uh, thought it was very interesting. So they went up there and actually filmed this phenomenon. And also the military was engaged and they sent out a research group to try to find out what this was. But the thing was that, well, this was in January, Febru February of 81. So it was very, in Norway, it, it gets dark at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. But so it was very easy to, to observe these lights because of the darkness. And what happened was that around seven, eight o'clock in the evening, suddenly a big glowing light uh, came kind of f like, <laughs> it was just like drifting up the, up the valley, up the mountainside, no sound, no vibration, no anything, just an enormous powerful light. It went up and disappeared over a mountaintop, sometimes down into a small lake. And an hour or two later, it came back again and went back the same way as it came. I mean, if it had been today, we would might have thought it, it was some type of drone, but that was before drones even were invented, you know. There was many speculations of what type of phenomenon this was. And it was filmed by, as I said, the Norwegian Broadcasting with uh, the professional film cameras and also the, the military took a lot of pictures of it. And it engaged also a group of students at the Norwegian Technological University, which uh, put up a kind of research. Uh, they had a kind of a, a, a camper van, you know, with a lot of instruments and they were studying it. And this made, this made it to the media, of course, and there was a lot of talk about it. And there was also people saying that they had seen that this thing had landed. And even the lady who had seen uh, a, a, a kind of a figure or, or something that looked like the, well, as she explained, it looked like the people that were walking on the moon. Uh, apart from that, they were just half the size and they had also big carrying rucksacks, you know, uh, and it was, it looked like they were actually doing, taking samples from the, the ground or, or the earth and went into these big cylinders that was, that then suddenly spiraled up into the air. So there was a lot of extremely interesting stories and, uh, Unfortunately, for my sake, I was in a very hectic period in my life, both, both work-wise and also because I had just been a father to small kids and all stuff. So I didn't, I didn't have the time to go up there. It was like a six hours drive from my home. But I followed it in the, in the news. And as I've always been interested in these types of topics, I decided to, uh, to go up there later in my life and, and find out what it was. But it took actually almost almost uh, 25 years before I, I, I was able to do that. And I went up there and, and met, the, met the people. And of course, during that time, those 25 years, a lot of things had happened and the, the, the phenomenon was still there and I saw it with my own eyes. And, and I interviewed a lot of people and also I was able to, to get hold of different video recordings that people had done. And also there was a university in Norway headed, or a group from a university headed by a professor called Erling Strand. And he brought young students up there every September to do a kind of scientific study 
of the uh, phenomenon. And I, I did a lot of interviews and stuff with him. And we put together this film called The Portal because in my mind, there was obviously something very special with that area. And geographically, it's an area where there are a lot of minerals in the ground. It's actually one of the most mineral-rich uh, places in the Norwegian mountains. So what, I mean, we of course, we discussed that everyone that were there to see it and, and, and re do research on it were very engaged in finding out what actually this was. And one of the main ideas was that it might be some type of interdimensional portal. And because of all these materials, these both iron, copper, sulfur, and also, well, two or three more types of, of materials, uh, there was a suggestion that this was kind of, what do you say, a, a battery charging uh, site for interdimensional travel, you know, where they could load their gear in some kind of way because of all these minerals. Or maybe it was just a kind of interdimensional portal where they could switch from 3D space-time to another type of dimension because of this special geographical structure of, in the Earth at that place. So. That's why we call it the portal. To this day, there has not been a proper solution to the uh, phenomenon or to the question of what this is. It's still a big question. The phenomenon is still there, but not so often as, as it was back in the 80s, when you could see this almost every night. Uh, now you can see it uh, like maybe 10 times during the, uh, the winter season, because it's much easier to see it in the winter season when it's dark. In the summer season up there, it's uh, almost like daylight all through the whole 24 hours. So it's not so easy to see light phenomena. But it was extremely uh, interesting. And also many of the uh, local people said that they had seen big uh, craft type craft type of uh, objects, like 40, 50 meters long, uh, silvery objects without wings or, or windows. So, it, But it, even though it looked like a big airliner, as one guy said, but it didn't make any noise. It, it was just hovering over the, uh, the ground and very slowly. So there was some type of propulsion system that was definitely not propellers or jet machine uh, engines. <laughs> It was some time, type of anti-gravity system, you know. So a lot of questions, a lot of extremely exciting stories and observations, but still no answers. You mentioned you actually had a first-hand account with the lights themselves. Can you tell us about that encounter? Well, I was sitting on a mountaintop with five or six students from this university who, who were up there to study the phenomenon. It was, it was late September or, or early October, and uh, it had been snowing. So suddenly, one o'clock at night, past midnight, the, suddenly the skies cleared and we were sitting there talking. I had uh, two still cameras on a tripod uh, ready to shoot uh, because it was, a, you could, on this mountaintop, you, there was a kind of a 360 degree view over the whole valley. And I also had two video cameras. And as we were sitting there talking about these phenomena, then suddenly a flash appeared right above our heads, just like if someone had fired an, a big uh, electronic photo flash right over your head. So it light, kind of lightened up the whole area around us from the, from the darkness. And when I looked up, I saw two extremely powerful light bulbs in the sky, but as it was totally dark. Uh, I could see, of course, the stars behind them. 
and also between these two light bulbs and it was impossible to to say how far away they were if they were just like 300 feet or three kilometers or whatever it was but they were extremely powerful light bulbs and they were moving very slowly to the right just like they were kind of interconnected but do you but even though they were interconnected seemed connected i could see the stars between them you know so there was no physical connection but they just looked like like they were you know drifting across the sky very connected and then it lasted for maybe 30 40 seconds and then suddenly just poof and it went with just like it was shut out into the the night sky and they became smaller and smaller and smaller and just then ended up like in another star on 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 the uh, the night sky so it was definitely not a plane it was not a drone because drones didn't exist at that time it was not any type of reflection for any for, from any light from any car or anything like that or train or whatever it was definitely something out of this world and to me it Uh, kind of confirmed that okay there is really something here and it is possibly intelligent and maybe it was just a sign given to us to make us understand that we are we are not alone in this universe or something like that i really don't know but it was i was absolutely flabbergasted and i even i i i, I never got to push the uh, the button on my cameras because i was just you know it just blew <laughs> You know, I was just blown away by the sight. So afterwards, I was very angry with myself that I, I I wasn't able to record it. You know, but it was actually recorded on a radar and also on low frequent radio. It was recorded and also on a another camera that had a kind of that was open would that had a and continuous exposure. Yeah. So it was definitely something that appeared there. It was not something that that we uh, imagined absolutely and we and we were like six or seven people seeing it. Were you able to get a sense of the size of what these lights were from where you were? No, it was because it was in the sky and towards the black ba background it was impossible to say if it was like inches or or yards or even miles big it, uh, because we couldn't figure out what distance from us that it was it was just enormous it was very powerful you mentioned Erling Strand is is a prominent researcher of the phenomenon can you kind of just give me a description of him as a scientist as a person uh, working together on this film over the years he's become a very good friend of mine so I quite I know him quite quite well when he was up there the first time he was in his late 20s and he's a very curious guy but he's also a scientist so when he speaks about this he never uses the word ufo he is he sticks to the definition light phenomenon unknown light phenomenon uh, because as he says as a scientist and also now as a professor professor at the university he actually retired just a half year ago but anyway Uh, when this was in the making he was a professor at the university and he said the university has been very helpful to fund us to put up a uh, they have kind of a small observatory inside a uh, container you know uh, where they have different types of 
of recording equipment that is automatically recording every type of movement which is which it might r- register in the in the sky in the night sky so they have video cameras automatic video cameras automatic still cameras they have different types of radar and radio transmitters or receivers i mean uh, and this has been funded by the university because they regard it as a an ongoing science project to f- try to find out the mysteries of nature, I guess. And he says, so that's why we cannot put a name to it, because as long as we are researching it and don't have a final answer, we just have to treat it as a uh, type of unknown, but very interesting type of phenomenon. But Erling himself is, well, he's a very nice guy, of course, but he's he's been doing a very, very a proper job of both researching the phenomenon and also been very helpful in conveying information about the whole situation and the phenomenon. And he has also organized these special sessions where he brings students from the university to stay there for a week uh, to study it. And he says it's, you know, it's very motivating for, <laughs> for young students who are studying physics or, or electronics and, and stuff like that to, to come here and, and do all types of measurements connected to this phenomenon. So, but he's, Erling has done a fantastic job and still is the main guy, number one guy when it comes to the Hestalen lights. How did residents of Hestalen react when you came to make a documentary? Were they generally willing to speak? Were they, were people hesitant to speak about their experiences? Kind of what was that like? Well, some were and some were not because, well, let's talk about the, some, the ones that did not want to speak about it. And that's, that's caused by the fact that they have been ridiculed over a long time you know they have been accused of uh, different things like well i don't know what it what you call it in english but in some it happens some places in very remote places that people from the same family have children with each other you know (laughs) and that makes and that creates some strange characters from time to time so they had been accused by that which of course was not the case and they had also been accused that it was their home brew that was uh, causing these very special sightings. And they said that every time they went down into the, to the, the local village to do shopping, they felt that they were kind of, people were talking behind their backs. So they were very uncomfortable about the whole thing. Of course, when this started happening, they were just as amazed as everyone else and, and were, they wanted to talk to, to, to absolutely everyone, you know. I mean, if you see something outside your house that is totally unexplainable, and there is a guy from the newspaper, your first intention is to talk about it, you know. But after all this ridiculing, they stopped talking about it. But still, there were some who were open. And this special one lady, she said, I've been ridiculed so much that I'm kind of cured. Uh, so I just want to say it as it is, because I believe that this is very valuable information, which actually is of concern to everyone. So she told us about these, not only the lights, but she told us that like one night she was uh, traveling in her car from the local village up to this valley. And suddenly something that looked like a big hat suddenly appeared right over her car. It was dark, of course, it was a a winter night and it lit up the whole area and her car. And she said it was even stronger than the lights, the front, the headlights from my car. I could see the road like very long distance in front of me and I could see the woods around me and everything. 
So she said, and this happened several times that these lights lit up the whole valley. And she also said that she was, on one occasion, she was sitting and waiting for her husband who was, who was collecting some timber or something. And she was having a smoke, sitting down close to a creek. And then suddenly she says, a big object that looked like a um, 40 meter, well, let's say 100 feet long object with light in each end suddenly appeared drifting down the valley. And it, it was brown and it looked like a very big piece of bread, she said. Like, and she was absolutely shocked. And when, and well, she told us about a lot of stories. And there was this other guy who, who said that he had on several occasions seen this, what he called, it looked like, uh, he said it looked like a big airliner, but with no wings and no windows. As I said earlier, it was hovering just above the treetops very slowly, no sound, no vibration, no nothing. And he had recorded this 46 times. And he had showed me his notebook and he had done recordings of it with uh, which dates, which time, what kind of temperature, what, how would it look like, the direction and everything. So, I mean, in my impression, these people were, they were very, very truthful. Uh, I had no, absolutely no reason to believe that this was fantasy or anything like that. They had no wish whatsoever to attract attention. They were actually very, very bothered by the attention that this had made for them. But when I spoke to them and also interviewed some of them, they, I really got the impression that these, were, these experiences were very real. We spoke with um, Massimo, who works with Erling Strand um, on the Hestalon, Hestalon project. And he, uh, he seems to believe that their may, consciousness may play a role in these lights. Did you get a sense of that in your own research and work? Did you think there could be some element of consciousness um, that affects them? Well, of course. Now, I am the opinion that consciousness is actually everything that is, you know. There's nothing else but consciousness in the whole material world and in the universe, as, of course, as such. So, but anyway, down to earth again, I had the absolute uh, feeling that this was some type of intelligent craft or interdimensional travelers of, of some sort. And Erling Alling has also told me a story. I don't know if you've heard about that. He has been a bit reluctant to tell it. But at one instance, when that was quite early in the 80s, uh, they saw this light in the sky and he had a, um, a, what do you see, a laser pointer, yeah. So he pointed at the this thing with the laser pointer and tapped on the button. So it, it kind of, it, it gave a frequency of laser shots towards this light. And he said later in the evening when they were standing outside discussing things, then suddenly a very totally similar laser light came from the sky and pointed at the ground right in front of their feet with the same frequency that they had been shooting at this light. So he'd say, he said that was an absolutely, I mean, that was a confirmation that <laughs> there was something intelligent involved, absolutely. And that's also been my opinion and the way these things have been described, all the, the landings that people have described and the movements and the and how these craft look it's of course it's it as it is light intelligent life from somewhere else in the universe or in some other dimension or you know something far far ahead of us in in technological development that's my belief yeah what do you think was the most unique or interesting sighting that you learned about while you were making the, fil the film 
Well, one of the most unique sightings was actually a, a very large, very large piece of turf from a, what do you say, a moor or a, uh, well, I'm not sure what it's called in English, but there was one guy who appeared to me and said some years back, this was before I was up there, he said, we were three hunters who had parked our cars down in the valley and we had been walking into the mountain area for like two, two hours, very, very, very far from any road. And suddenly we discovered a big piece of turf which was like uh, 20 feet long like 10 feet wide which was which was cut with laser precision and it was like one feet thick or maybe a couple of feet thick it was cut with laser precision and lifted very carefully up from the ground and placed to the side and you could see how it was cut with some type of laser knife and, it's, and he said it, it, it had to be weighing several tons because it was wet turf. And he said there was absolutely no tracks from any machines or any, I mean, if there had been like bulldozer or excavator or some type, you would have seen it. But there was absolutely no tracks of anything. And this thing weighed several, at least a couple of tons. So there had, had to something must have been able to cut it out and lift it from the ground. I also have a, uh, a video which was shot later when uh, another guy was up there. And I also have the original picture that, that were taken when they found it. That's, that to me is quite, quite extraordinary. And it also kind of confirms the theories that this area has been subject for some type of monitoring from some other existence when it comes to the environment on this earth because let's say that you are very concerned about the environment on this planet which is now being so damaged by us creatures who live here and and who don't really understand how we should treat this uh, fantastic planet and to monitor how the development uh, in which direction it is going you have to take samples from different places on the on the planet and i've heard so many reports also from other places like all everything from the amazons to other mountain areas in the united states to places in japan to places in russia where they there have been observations of something indicating that someone has taken samples from the earth and we also had this old woman who had actually seen this a small craft landing not far away from her house in the field. And uh, this uh, small guy who was like four feet tall, who entered out from it and took soil, soil samples seemingly and went into it and then just took off. You know, I was able to interview her myself because I, I found her later on. And so there, so, I mean, that's actually what has intrigued me the most is that someone is monitoring us, someone is concerned about the situation on this planet. Hopefully, they might be able, able to help us uh, in some way if it uh, really gets too bad. I don't know, but that's my hope. Uh, at least I, I feel it's a big, it helps to, to know that someone, that we are not left alone. Someone is following us, someone is keeping an eye on us. And that's, that gives me a good feeling. 
Can you tell me more about the process of filming and putting together the portal? Um, how did you get in contact and find the witnesses and kind of what was the process like of assembling the story after you had collected all this footage in Hestalen? Well, you know, first of all, I've, I, of course, I attended one of the, the talks that Erling Strand had. He gives talks about this from time to time. And I made an agreement with him that if I started to do this project, he would be, of course, very helpful, which he was. So he gave me a lot of information. And he also had a lot of contacts because he had been in this valley for like, excuse me, 25 years at the point when we started uh, doing the film, making the film in back in 2006. The film was finished 2008. So, of course, he was very important. He gave me a lot of, he introduced me to many of the local people and because they had a trust in him, and then it was much easier for me to to get them to talk so that was very helpful but of course i'm always been i've always been very curious by nature so i don't have any problem calling people and convincing them to come forward and to talk on the camera i'll call of course some of them were very reluctant and some of them just said no uh, but more and more people were able or willing to, to give a testimony. And when they also learned that I was not there to make them look foolish, I was, I had good intentions. I wanted to, you know, just like anyone else, find out what this was all about. Then it was also much easier to, to get them on camera because many of them are afraid and many of them have experienced that journalists come up there and are sent by their editor to make a, a good entertaining story, you know. And then they sometimes write this in an attitude of ridicule. And they had experienced that several times. And so in the beginning, it wasn't easy, but it became easier and easier as they learned that I was not that, that was not my intention, you know. And uh, well, of course, we ended up with a lot of material. I don't know how many hours, but uh, it was a quite a big editing process. And we had to get everything right and confirmed and, and all that, you know, because I, I had the understanding that this film could be very helpful for bo both informational purposes, educational purposes, and also in attracting other scientists uh, to come. So it had to be done in, in a proper and, and ethical way. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really it's a it's really a fantastic film. It gives such a good overview of the phenomenon, and um, I really recommend anyone who hasn't seen it to go to go find it and watch it. Uh, what do you hope people take away when they watch the film? What do you hope is their takeaway? Uh, well, that's quite simple, actually. Uh, what I hope that people take away is that the nature of reality is quite more spectacular and fantastic than we ever have imagined. And of course, that we are probably not alone in the universe, which is, I mean, people who still claim that we are alone in the universe. I mean, uh, it's it's a silly idea because lately uh, with our, you know, space telescopes, we have already detected like 40 billion uh, planets in our own galaxy that have the possibility uh, to support life. And there have all also been detected more than 200 billion galaxies in the universe. And still there are some materialists claiming that we are the only intelligent uh, planet or place where, where there is intelligent life in the universe. I mean, that's an extremely naive idea. So that's what I want to convey that we are, we are one of probably billions of civilizations in this enormous vast universe and also that well i didn't 
uh, mention that so much in that film, but I did in later films, that consciousness is a core or a basic fun fundament or, I mean, consciousness is what it's all about, actually. Everything, every material particle spins out from consciousness, from the subatomic level, and we live actually in a very, very creative universe. Some people say that it's, we are living in a in a cr very creative mind. Well, whose mind it is, I, I won't speculate in that. But it's obvious that the universe is actually full of life everywhere. And we are just, we just haven't come far enough in our technological or and spiritual development to, to understand what we are actually a part of. So that's what I want to convey with a film like that there, that there is the nature of reality is much more spectacular than we have ever imagined. If listeners want to follow your work, what's the best way for them to see your films and kind of see what you're working on next? Well, I have a very simple website called newparadigm.no, where you can stream our films. They are all situated on Vimeo, but that's the portal to get to the films, newparadigm.no. And so I haven't bothered too much to make a very spectacular website because that's that's not my main interests. But anyway, uh, the films can be screened or, or streamed, I mean, from, from that website. Uh, and well, yeah. So if you want to watch the... Uh, the Hestalen film, which is called The Portal, The Hestalen Lights, or The Day Before Disclosure, or our film on consciousness called The Creative Play of Consciousness, or our film on crop circles, then you will find them all there, and also some other stuff. Do you have any new projects in the works that you're able to talk about at this point? Well, not large documentaries like this. Right now, I am in cooperation with another guy trying to make a video series on the, uh, the Veda scriptures and the, the old wisdom traditions from, from the East, which the funny thing is that very much, much of what they actually knew 3,000 years ago now is confirmed by the new quantum physics, you know. So I think that's extremely intriguing. And I mean, people of our kind has, according to archaeologists, have been on this planet for 300,000 years. And still, we don't really know who we are. I think that's a very interesting uh, question and topic. So just now I'm, I'm uh, spending much of my time to try to yeah, communicate or to spread information that, that throws light on this uh, fantastic situation that we really don't know who we are. We really don't know what energy is at its core. Uh, we have this fantastic equation, E equals MC uh, square. But uh, the factors, we have defined the factors mathematically, but we don't know what they are at the core. You know, we don't really know what energy is. We don't really know what, mater what matter is. We don't know why the speed of light is as it is. That's quite uh, intriguing, you know. We have just taken it for granted. But now there is so much exciting new science that is, that's exploring these topics. Things are going to happen quite quickly now, I know. Uh, with different scientists, different science communities that are really working hard to try to crack the code to, uh, of gravity, you know. And if we are able to, with the help of new understandings in quantum physics, to crack the code of gravity, then suddenly we can start producing 
free energy, which will hopefully then solve all our environmental problems. We don't need to use fossil fuels or all these other quite complicated ways of producing energy that we are using today. So I think we are actually at the verge of a whole new paradigm in understanding both the nature of reality and the fact that consciousness lies as the fundamental, you know, creation beneath everything. And it's going to change our world quite dramatically in the, in the coming years. That's, that's my belief. And that's what I'm digging into at the moment. Is there anything we didn't touch on in relation to the Hestalen lights or your work that you would like to say before we wrap up? Well, I would say that if you're interested in exploring something extraordinary, take a trip to Hestalen. It's, you have to go in the late autumn or early spring when it's uh, still dark in the nights. But you can bring your camping tent and there's a lot of space. Uh, it's allowed to put up a tent in anywhere on an, any mountaintop and to be there and to know that there is something extraordinary happening right beneath your feet. or <laughs> That's a, a very intriguing, intriguing feeling. And uh, you might get lucky to also see them something that you will never for, uh, forget. So that's what I would say to people. It's if you go to Oslo, travel to Oslo. It's uh, you, the, you can take the train up to nearby and rent a car from there. It's from the nearest train station. It's like half an hour with with a car, and it's a fantastic it's it's a fantastic place to explore for yourself. A special thanks to Massimo Teodorani for allowing us to use his music as the underscore for this episode. You can listen to more of his music under his artist name, Totem Tag, on Bandcamp. A link is in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. It helps get this content in front of more listeners, which means we can produce more episodes more often. Visit our website at www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Terrara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Terrara. Theme music by Tara Monk.